Hey everybody, welcome to the Outpost Community Church Podcast. My name's Addison, I'm on staff here as the youth pastor. We are currently going through the book of Matthew, and so we hope you enjoy listening and have a wonderful week of worship. Well, good morning, everybody. Glad you're here. It's good to be here. Uh, Hey, so this weekend, our students were together for Summit. Anybody in here here for Summit? All right, a few of you. Are you exhausted? Yeah. You tired? Man, listen, uh, I know there's a lot of you who do not want to volunteer to be middle school youth leaders, but you're missing out on all God wants to do in your life right now. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. They're super tired. And listen, uh, everybody says that I'm not, I don't know what y'all did in the youth to this thing, but my thing has antennas now and it's like sticking out, trying to bother me. Um, Listen, I know you guys think I'm really like loud and charismatic, but after a youth weekend, nobody can uh, speak for 30 minutes and keep everybody else alive. So I'm going to do the best I can, but we're going to be in Matthew 9. You guys can go there. Matthew chapter 9, verse 14 is where we're going to be, 14 to 17. Before I read that, I don't want you guys, we're going to do something a little different. Typically, guys, we read it. I'll have you stand up because we just want to go, hey, the word of God is more important than Greg's word. That's still true, okay, regardless of where we stand right now. But I want to introduce this passage a little bit before we, <clears throat> before we read the scripture. Because um, everybody I've talked to, when, when we read this and we kind of discussed what the passage was going to be, Everyone's like, man, I'm always kind of confused what this means. And it's actually so much more simple than you can imagine. But I want to lay a little context. Uh, how many of you guys have ever been to a wedding? All right. Hopefully you made it to yours if you're married. Um, I've been, I have, since I've been a pastor, and since I, that title has been in front of my name, uh, I have done 10 weddings, okay? And I've probably been a part of 10 more, including my own. I was there for that one. I remember it. And this coming weekend, me and my family will be going down to Georgia for another wedding. And this Tuesday, we'll be, uh, we, me and Bonnie will be celebrating our 13th wedding anniversary, which is cool. I know. I know. Some of you guys are like, you look 13. But is this true? So uh, we'll be celebrating then. So here's the thing about weddings, though. Every wedding that you've probably gone to, that I've gone to, it's all gone the same way, Okay. Who's like the centerpiece of this entire wedding? Who's like the most important person? The bride, yes, okay. I heard a lot more men's voices, the bride, yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, and what is it like when when she shows up? Like, it's like the clear, I did a wedding like two, three weeks ago. The music changes, everybody stands up, everybody turns to look at her, everybody starts crying, right? She walks down, she's in white, she's beautiful, and that dude's just standing there burning in the sun. He's been there for 20 minutes waiting for her to get there, right? That's how they all go, right? That's how weddings are, and they're good. That's, it's a beautiful thing. Ladies, it's wonderful. I know you dream of it, but hey, uh, in the Bible, it's actually the exact opposite. What you find in the Bible is that everyone's not waiting for a bride. Everybody's waiting for a groom, Everybody's waiting for a groom. If you actually go to the end of the story, when he shows up, the music changes. Everybody stands or bows. But everybody turns to him. When they see him dressed in white, they weep. Either tears of mourning because it's the day of judgment or tears of joy because it's the day of 
the wedding uh, between God's people and God himself. The story of the Bible is not a a wedding between a man and a woman. It's, It's about a communion between a God and a people. Do you know that? And we're all waiting for the groom to show up. Eagerly waiting, hopefully. And so today we're going to look at a group of people uh, who are eagerly waiting. I want to read you Isaiah 54.5. You're like, man, this, this wedding language with God is weird. Listen, Isaiah 54.5 says, For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. This is the Old Testament. It speaks of God as this husband to the people of God. Now, why does God use this language, the marriage language? Okay, I think it's because he wants to show you that it's not like he's not the husband to the people of God like I'm the husband to, or like exactly like I am to Bonnie. But similarly, what I mean by that is he is making a covenant promise to have communion relationship with us, exclusively with us with the people of God. The Old Testament, they call it Israel. The New Testament, they call it the church. In both Testaments, it's God. And he's, he's going to <clears throat> unite himself to them. And so what the image does, though, is it shows us something, all right? And so listen, ladies, you're gonna be slightly offended for like 30 seconds. Well, hopefully 13 seconds. You can get over it. Um, the image is of someone who is weak and in need of power and care and uh, of someone who is stronger than them, right? And like in a feminist society, people are like, I don't need any men. It's like, as you say that, sitting in a chair in a country that was made on the backs and through the blood of mainly men, right? You get to say that because a lot of boys died, a lot of sons died, right? Because men are called to create a space of safety for women to flourish in their gifts, flourish in their life, and cause their families to flourish. But this country exists mainly because men lost their lives. Am I right? And the church exists because God sent a son who poured out his blood to create a space that we might thrive and exist. So listen, ladies, if that's weird for you, it's also weird for us men to be called a bride in the Bible. All right, we're still trying to get our heads around it as well. But God is saying that uh, he is wanting to unite himself to us. Now, why does God want to do that? And why does he use this language? There's another reason. It's really important. It's three words. Can you think of what they are? I love you. Because God says, I love you. I care about you. Now, Israel forgot this. They remembered it and forgot it more times than you can count. Anybody read the Old Testament? Anybody read through the Old Testament and you're like, Israel drives me crazy. God does this, they forget, they act crazy, then he punishes them, then he goes, okay, but I'm going to restore you. And they're like, oh, that's great, and then they do it again. Now, the story, the moral of the story, when you read the Old Testament, who are you supposed to see? You. You are Israel. Man, you want to follow God one moment, and you're like, I'm all for you. Anybody like this? Anybody have those moments where you're like, I feel dedicated, right? Coming out of a summit weekend. Students, they're like, I want to follow Jesus, and when I go back into my school, by Wednesday, they're like, I'm not quite sure anymore, right? One foot in, one foot out, it's a battle, right? And they forget back and forth. But the thing is, the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. And the reason why he wants you to see it as a marriage covenant, because the marriage covenant is a permanent covenant. It's a lifelong commitment. And though we go in and out of our commitments, God is a God who says, hey, I keep my promises. And he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. 
So he wants us to see this marriage covenant for a reason. He wants us to understand that he is our, like our husband for a reason. He wants us to see that we, he loves us and that he's for us, not against us. He's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. Now, why does this matter? Okay, why does this matter today? Because the passage doesn't really have a marriage necessarily in it, but it does have a groom in it. And so here's what I want you to understand. Uh, Israel forgot and they remember the goodness of God, but there was always a, rem- a remnant. So when, when Israel would forget or Judah would forget, there was always a remnant of people who would cut ties with the outside world and they would dedicate themselves fully to God. Always been a remnant. Always. And these people would discipline themselves by saying, hey, I'm not going to take part in these things in life, in those things in life. I want to run. I want to fix my eyes. That last song we're singing. I want to have an undivided heart towards you, Lord. And so as we head to the New Testament, two groups of people I want to raise to you. The Pharisees, which you guys typically think of as just legalistic people. The Pharisees actually came out of a really incredible uh, conservative movement. And, and another group called the Essenes. Can you guys say Essenes? Do you, have you ever heard of the Essenes? Essenes are probably where we got the, uh, you know, the Qumran or where we got the, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Have you heard of those? Really, really important and relevant for our lives. Um, and so these guys lived uh, near the uh, Jordan River. It's a very deserty area. Again, if you'd like to go to Israel with me in May, I would love for you to join me. And, but you could see where these guys lived. And they lived a very ascetic lifestyle, a disciplined lifestyle. And so the Pharisees and the Essenes and some other groups of people, these are people who said, you know what? We're not going to live like the world anymore. And I'm not going to be one foot in, one foot out. I'm going all in with God. I'm going all in on this God who's never left us, never forsaken us. I want to be for him. And they dedicated themselves to the word. They dedicated themselves to God. And they cut ties with a lot of things around them. Some things that we're all trying to do right now, right? And so here's the thing. These groups of people, uh, as we head into the coming of Jesus, they are fasting and they are praying. They are dedicating themselves because they are longing for God to send his Messiah. They are longing for God to come and rescue them from Rome. And so when Rome shows up, they see it as a discipline. On their lives. Historically, we could see that the, the Pharisees and the Essenes, they believe that the reason why Rome was there is because uh, the, uh, the, the Jews had not been dedicated to the Lord. And so they're going, man, if we want God to show up, we need to get ourselves right and then God will bless us. Now, that's still a legalistic mindset. But nonetheless, they're kind of right. We need to get our stuff together, right? And so the Pharisees get their stuff together. The Essenes, they set themselves apart. They go live in this deserty, like, it's like, think, what am I thinking? Think like uh, between Grable, or no, between Grable and here. It's beautiful out there, right? Yeah, there's no trees to hide though, right? So just imagine that and way hotter. And so that's where they leave and they just cut ties with things. So they're dedicated, they're fasting, they're praying, they're longing for the return of a Messiah, the anointed one. They want God to come. They want the groom to come. And so this is the backdrop that leads us into this passage and I want you to understand these guys' these guys' longing because today we're looking at a passage where Jesus is going to blow everybody's minds because he's going to stand right in front of these people and say, I am what you've been waiting for. You've been fasting, you've been praying, you've been disciplining yourself, you've been making yourself ready. I'm right here. And it's going to blow some minds and it should blow our minds. So we're going to look at it. 
And, we're, and the reason why this matters today, and it's going to matter for you, I'm going to go ahead and tell you before we get going, because this isn't going to be very long today. I, listen, I know I make promises, all right, and I'm not the Lord, so I don't always keep my promises. Um, but it's going to be pretty short, because at the end of the day, what I want you guys to see ultimately is this. They were disciplining and preparing themselves for the coming of the Lord. Jesus came. But we are on this side of the cross, right? And Jesus has left. And now we, similarly to them, are waiting. What, we, what will we do in our waiting? Because we know that Jesus is going to come again. Do you long for it? Well, that's what we're going to talk about. Lord, I pray that you would lead us, guide us. Uh, I pray that, God, this would be exactly what our friends need to hear. I pray that you would encourage my heart. I am a half-hearted man, and I pray that you'd make me a whole-hearted man. We've got half-hearted men and women and, and teenagers in this room. I pray that you would make us whole-hearted, that right now as we wait for you, God, that we would discipline ourselves, we make ourselves ready, that we love our neighbors and seek your best. But we also pray, God, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Okay. So you've heard this, and so we're going to look at break. I'm breaking down two points. That's why I'm promising you shorter. Not three, two. A time to feast, a time to fast, and we're going to talk about big God and small boxes. So let me read to you this passage real quick. Now that you have this backdrop, I want you to hear uh, 14 through 17. Then the disciples of John came to him, came to Jesus, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is a new wine put into old wineskins. If, uh, if it is, the, sky, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. All right. Let's look at verse 14. Okay, let me just read that part again. The disciples of John came to him saying, why do, your, the Pharise, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Now, from what we can tell, the reason why I brought up the Essenes to you is because the Pharisees are already there, but the Essenes are not mentioned. It's John's disciples. The thing I want you to know is John spent a lot of time down near the Jordan River, and he spent a lot of time, from what we can tell, he probably hung with the Essenes. Why do I think that John might have hung with the Essenes? You could tell by his lifestyle. I'm going to read to you a passage here in a little bit. You're going to see what he's like. But I'm going to, I want to tell you about the Essenes. These guys were disciplined. Um, they, they would, uh, let me just actually, let me just read to you some of the things they do. Let me show you how awesome and crazy dedicated these guys were. Um, I'm going to give you eight things that they did that I, you guys are going to go, man, I thought membership in community was tough. I thought these three questions were hard. I thought having to read my Bible every day was difficult. These guys uh, practice communal living in a unique way. Think kind of like monks. The Essenes typically lived in communal settlements, uh, settlements, such as the one of Qumran near the Dead Sea. In these communities, they shared resources, meals, and responsibilities. Communal living helped them maintain a strong sense of unity and spiritual focus. You go, oh, that sounds quite nice. They also practice celibacy. What? Okay. Many Essenes practiced celibacy, abstaining from marriage and sexual relations. This celibacy was believed to purify the soul and keep them spiritually focused. Now, 89% of you are out. Okay, simple diet. The Essenes followed a strict dietary regimen. Okay, now we just lost. Now we're up to 99% of you are not going to be involved. Uh, Ritual purity. Maintaining ritual purity was one of the utmost importance of the Essenes. They practiced frequent ritual baths, uh, mikvahs. Okay, it's where we get this idea of baptism. You're going to see why we think this is 
John must have spent time with these guys, to cleanse themselves from the impurities of sins. These baths were often performed in natural bodies of water by the Dead Sea, but we also can see that they dug out holes and they would go into it twice a day they'd take a bath, right? Don't think your hot shower. Think murky water, okay? Um, Work and prayer. The Essenes balanced their daily lives with a combination of work and prayer. They engaged in various trades and agricultural activities to sustain their communities. Prayer, meditation, and the study of sacred texts played a central role to their daily routines. Oath of secrecy. This is where they start to sound a little bit like a cult. The Essenes were known for their, sec- or their secretive nature and often required new members to take an oath of secrecy. They, listen, for the first two years, you were not allowed to eat with everybody. You had to prove yourself. And then after two years, then you could eat with everybody quietly. You like that? Listen, you could be a part of our family, but you're going to eat outside for two years. And then we'll invite you inside, but I don't, you can be seen but not heard. Anybody remember that? <clears throat> the rejection of wealth. The Essenes rejected the accumulation of wealth and material possessions. They lived a frugal lifestyle, often shared their resources with those who are in need. And here's something that's really important. It's important for today. These guys were known for their apocalyptic belief, their end times beliefs. Many of these scenes held an apocalyptic beliefs, anticipating the imminent arrival of a Messiah who would lead them to salvation and usher in a new era of righteousness. Okay, so you see what, you see what I was saying earlier in the introduction? These guys genuinely believed that God was going to send a Messiah. And so they believed that they needed to cut away everything in their life and make themselves ready for the Messiah. Because when he comes, he's going to be looking for those who are going to come alongside him and who are going to usher in this new kingdom. You see this? They made themselves ready because they believed that he was coming. Now, now that I read all those things, you can kind of see John in this. Because in Matthew chapter 1, it says this about John. John wore garments of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and honey. Mmm. Talk about a specific diet. Locusts and honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were coming out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river, confessing their sins. All right? John was a disciplined man. John was unique. He was a, a special dude. You may not have liked John's message, but you would never say that John was not dedicated. That guy was dedicated. Anybody ever worn a camel hair, like, vest? Like, just like, man, if that comes back into style, young dudes, it's going to be a sight to behold. Okay? But then it says, actually, so this guy's disciplined. He's dedicated. He's all in. He's got people who are following him. He most likely hung with these scenes. This is a dedicated area. I mean, this guy called the Pharisees vipers. He was dedicated. But then we read this, that in in John chapter 1, he says this, Behold the Lamb of God when he sees Jesus. Now think about this. A guy who's dedicated, everybody respects, everybody wants to come see him. Even the Pharisees want to come see him. Roman soldiers are being baptized by him. Everybody thinks John is dedicated. And then John says this in John 1. Behold the Lamb of God. He sees Jesus and goes, Lamb of God. Who takes away the sins of the world. This is he whom I said, after me comes one who ranks before me. Because he was before me. I myself did not know him. But for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. Like can you imagine like you're running with John. You're like we ain't never seen anybody like this guy. I've never seen somebody so dedicated. Think about the most dedicated person you've ever met in your life. And then John is like twice that. And then that guy goes and says that guy right there. 
He's the Lamb of God. I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals. He's the one. And we know that a couple of his disciples got a clue. Andrew, you guys know who Andrew is? He's one of the disciples. He's the brother of who? You passed, three of you, great. He is the brother of Peter. If you've ever watched The Chosen, anybody watch The Chosen? Okay, there you go. That helps you out. You don't have to read the Bible, right? You just watch The Chosen. That's a joke. Read your Bibles. Okay, Andrew was a disciple of John. He ran. When he heard about this, behold, the Lamb of God, he wouldn't follow Jesus. And when he interacted with Jesus, he goes, oh, man. And he runs and goes and finds Peter. He says, Peter, you got to come with me. Let's go see this guy. But I want, I want, listen, I'm trying to set you up here. If a guy like John is saying that Jesus is like 10x, next level, this guy, I can't even tie his sandal. He is out Side of my reach. If you're a follower of John, everyone of the followers of John should have been like, let's go meet that guy. But now I want you to think, what do you think everyone is thinking Jesus is going to be like? If, all you're, if you're looking at the Essenes and you're looking at the Pharisees, the Pharisees are put together. They've got long tassels. Everything's in order. They tithe mint and dill. They tithe everything. They're disciplined men. And then you have the Essenes. They're out there living in the desert, eating bugs and honey. They're not having any sex, right? They're just missing out on everything. These guys are dedicated. That's, listen, I know y'all feel, feel really uncomfortable because I said the word sex in church. But, like, th- these guys are people, when you look at them, you go, man, they are all out. Think about, like, the most, I don't know, for you, the most Bathysty Bathysty you've ever seen in your life. I mean, just the shirt's button, It's tucked in. you got the full tie and a suit jacket, even though it's 95 outside, right? The hair is perfect. They're, they're rolling up. The kids are all smiling and cute. I mean, just everything is together. Man hasn't seen a drip of alcohol in his entire life, right? So just the most disciplined, clean person. That person's saying, this is who you're looking for. Don't you think that they're thinking Jesus is going to be some kind of like super holy, put together, clean cut guy? Don't you think? And then what happens? They show up and the brother is having a drink with a bunch of tax collectors and sinners. What do you think people, like, so listen, the Pharisees show up and they're just mad. John's disciples show up and they want to give him a chance. Because John said, this is the guy, but they roll up and they're going, you don't even fast. Like the Pharisees fast, we fast. You're sitting here having a drink with tax collectors and sinners. And what happens, guys? Their minds just blow. Absolutely blow. Like, wait a second. What, who are you? Who are you? And this is, Jesus answers the question. And this is so good, guys. This is what I'm trying to, I'm trying to set you up. Because Jesus says this in verse 15. Jesus says, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? What's the simple answer to that, guys? Any of you ever gone to a wedding and you're like, I'm actually fasting. I won't have any of that cake today. Have any of you done that? No. Most of you have never fasted, right, unless your health coach told you to, all right? You're, but when you go to a wedding, you're going to a wedding to, are you going to fast or are you going to feast? You're going to feast. Why do we feast? To celebrate. Guys, listen, every one of us in this room knows that. Everybody that Jesus is talking to knows that. It's what... So you get, you get the point that Jesus is making, but Jesus is implying something that is so much deeper and richer and crazy. 
They understand, hey, you don't fast when you go to weddings, right? John's disciples are like, no, of course not. Well, the bridegroom is here, so let's feast. That's what he's saying. He's implying something that whether John's disciples picked up it or not, Matthew clearly picked up on it. So when he writes this gospel, which the book of Matthew is written to Jews, that's why it's shaped the way it's shaped. That's why there's five sermons in the book of Matthew, because there's five books of the law. Right? There's, it's the reason why he, Matthew continually says the word fulfilled. Jesus fulfilled, 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 fulfilled. You guys have heard this if you've been around. Now Jesus is saying, the bridegroom is here. You've got everything you've been fasting for, everything you've been disciplining your life for. I'm right here. Come have a seat. Let's eat. You guys hear that? What do you think that's doing for their minds? Blowing them. Now, they don't have the word mind-blowing in Hebrew. So Jesus says something to them. Uh, so that it Basically, it's this. He says, verse 16, No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Listen, if your expectation is that I was going to be a Baptist, this is going to tear at your mind a little bit. If your expectation was that I wasn't going to hang with sinners, this is going to tear at your thinking a little bit. He even goes and says it like this. This is the closest to blowing your minds he can say to you, to a Jew. Neither is wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the, sky, the skins burst. Nobody, nobody in Hebrew culture is thinking about their mind blowing up. But they go, oh, but I get what it means to see a wineskin burst. And he goes, yes, this is going to burst your wineskins. If your expectation that I was going to come and I was just going to be like fasting for my entire life and I was going to be hyper-disciplined and be living with you guys in the desert, this is going to burst your wineskins. This is going to tear at your expectations. Uh, so I want to ask you, anybody, like, you had thoughts about Christianity and then you became a Christian and it just absolutely blew your mind. Anybody? Jesus is not what you thought he was. Anybody? None of you? I started in a Baptist church. And then I started reading my Bible. And I go, this is blowing my, my wineskins completely apart. <laughs> Anybody else reading that? Anybody like that? Listen, I, I am by nature, by God's gift, like gifted me in a way where I can't just read the Bible, look up. And if, it, if there's a gap between what we're saying and doing and what we're reading the Bible, I just can't handle it. I, I, I tend to freak out a little bit. Now, my whole life is a freak out session because my life doesn't line up with Jesus. I wish it did more. But the reality is when you read the Bible and you read about Jesus, everything your neighbors are saying about Jesus, if they actually knew who Jesus was, it would absolutely burst their wineskins. It would blow their minds. Why do some people not want to walk into this building? Not because of Jesus. They have an expectation that Jesus is going to judge them. Some people don't want to come and hang around Christians because they're they're nervous that they're not going to be good enough. But if they just opened and read their Bible, you'd see that everybody thought that Jesus shouldn't have been hanging with these people because they weren't good enough. And Jesus is like, hey, bridegroom's here. Let's eat. Let's celebrate. Let's be together. I'm here for you. Let's have a little bit of wine. Jesus, does Jesus get drunk? No. Jesus never sinned. And somehow he became this crazy thing that we can't even comprehend. He could sit and abide and dwell with sinners and never sin. Now, why does he do that? Because he's the groom. And what is the, how does the groom feel about the bride, gentlemen? 
Gentlemen, how does he feel about the bride? He loves her. He loves her deeply, even though she might be crazy, even though she's a sinner, even though she doesn't get it all together sometimes. He loves her. Now, don't freak out, ladies. Your husband is also the bride of Jesus. And he's still trying to wrestle with this in a culture that's struggling with transgenderism. He's like, what am I supposed to feel? But guys, at the end of the day, I want you to understand this. Listen, what Jesus does not fit into your little box. That's the point of this passage. That's one of the points of this passage. But as as human beings, guys, this world is kind of scary for us. We can get attacked. We can be harmed. We can be lied to. We can be misunderstood. We can be abused. We can be bombed. We can be... Um, we could be cheated on, we could be fired, we could be all kinds of things. So what happens as human beings like us who don't have a lot of control is we try to seize control. And when you try to seize control, one of the ways that we try to seize control, isn't this right? We try to get things put in their, in their boxes. Oh, you're a pastor. I'm gonna put you over here in this little box. This is what you're like. This is what you're supposed to be. Oh, you're a Christian. I'm gonna put you over here in this little box. Oh, you're an alcoholic, are you? Okay, well, I'm going to put you over here in this box, okay? Oh, you're a murderer, huh? So I'm going to go ahead and put you in this box. There's a great song uh, that this, what is his name? Thomas Rhett. Anybody ever heard of Thomas Rhett? Talks about going to a death row to sing worship for these inmates. And he went in shaking because he thought it's just a bunch of murderers and psychopaths. And he got in there and found out they're all a lot like him. They, after they led worship, and these guys were praising, feet chained to the ground and hands in the air. They sat around and talked about turkey hunting and catching bass. These guys hadn't touched grass in years. And one of the guys he talked to was sitting there praising Jesus. And later that week, they put him in the ground. And he just sings about, man, this guy must have met, he met Jesus after that. Listen, Jesus is going to blow your mind. We're always trying to put Jesus in a little bitty box, but Jesus doesn't fit in your box. Jesus is so much bigger and more grand and more glorious and more beautiful and more wonderful. He is more than you can understand. You are not worthy to tie his sandals. Your intellect will never get to a point where you can understand it. I remember when uh, Zach Adams, whose story is online, I, you should go read Zach's story. Zach, one of Zach's problems with coming to faith is he couldn't understand it. He would say, he's like, he's an engineer, and so for his brain, and like my friends who are engineers in this room, they like to have things in order. Am I right, engineers? And all the engineers said... Amen. Okay. They love things to be in the right order. They need to have a system. And he looked at it, and faith is not something that fits in his system. And God came in and burst Zach's wineskins by blowing his mind and showing him that faith is something that he's not supposed to be able to wrap his mind around. It's a person that he's supposed to trust in. And so this passage is all about that. Now, here's the thing. I just told you what, that, what this is all about. So when you go read your Bible next time, you go, oh, that's what that's about. It's just talking about being mind-blowing, that Jesus doesn't fit in their box. And these guys were disciplining and making the sums ready, and suddenly he's there. But I want you to think about being John's disciples. You're walking away from this. This guy just claimed to be God. I can quote to you several, uh, five, six, seven uh, uh, passages in the Old Testament that talk about, he's talking about how he's the groom. Go read Hosea, a beautiful book where God's just showcasing himself as this husband chasing this, this uh, adulterous woman that is called Israel. And as you read about her, you're going to find that you're a lot like her and not like the groom. And he just chases her and he loves her and he pursues her and redeems her and cares for her. And so... Jesus, when he says the, uh, the bridegroom is here, he's telling them, I am God and I'm here for you. You can stop fasting. 
But he says something else, and it's really important, and this is where I really want to focus today uh, as we wrap this up. I'm wrapping this up. Can you believe that? Just give me a second. I might say that I'm going to end it again three more times, but here's what I, I, want, to, I want to focus on, and it's verse uh, 15. Look again at verse 15. He says something else right there. This is, the Bible is sneaky deep, man. It's sneaky deep. He says, and Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Of course not. Celebrate. I'm here. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Does fasting, should fasting have a place in the church? Why? Because the bridegroom's not here. When it says the bridegroom be taken away, what was Jesus alluding to, friends? Somebody say it. He was going to die on the cross. Now, Matthew experienced the death. He watched the death of Jesus. But he also saw the ascension of Jesus. saw Jesus rise to the right hand of the Father. John 14.3. What does John 14.3 say, guys? John 14.3. So remember, the Old Testament, they had a hope that the Messiah was going to come. In the New Testament, we've got a hope that the Messiah is going to what? Return. John 14, 3. This is being recorded on a podcast, and if you're out hunting and you're listening to me right now, hey, somebody go to John 14, 3 and read it out loud. Somebody go there. Sword drill. Who's, who's the best Christian in the room? Let's go. Listen. I will come again. Do you believe Jesus is coming again? That's one of the crazy things about Christianity. You, you are a bunch of psychopaths. You think that this guy, is gonna, this king who was dead 2,000 years ago, you're sitting around waiting for him to come back and your answer is what? Are you serious? Are y'all crazy? Dead is dead. But Jesus is dead. He says, I, if I go, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'm coming back for you, not so I can take you to the place, not so I can take you to a room so that you can be with me. That's what Jesus is saying. The groom is coming again. Now, we are in what's called the already but not yet, the land in between, the time where Jesus came and the time when Jesus is going to come again. And in this span of time, how are we called to live our lives? To be salt and light. Are we called to be, as Christians, disciplined or flippant? Are we called to care or be careless? Are we called to be focused or distracted? Okay, those, those are really easy, but I want you to think about your life. Which one of those are you more landing on? I, I, I'm kind of going back and forth. Like I'm being focused and then I'm getting distracted. I'm, I'm being disciplined and then I'm being flippant. Uh, there's moments where I care and there's point, moments where I'm just careless. Anybody like that? He's saying, listen, I, I think what's beautiful about verse 15, he's saying, listen, I'm going to leave and it's going to be time to get back to work. That's what he's saying. I'm going to leave and it's going to be time to get back to work. He's going to use, uh, when we go through Matthew, he's going to use other analogies where he's going to tell you to be ready. The Essenes believed in the imminent coming of a Messiah we believe in the imminent coming of a Messiah. What does he say in First and Second Thessalonians? Right? I'm coming on a day that you do not know. Two of you will be in the car driving. One of you will be taking. The other will be on a joyride if they're not in the driver's seat. 
Two of you are going to be out hunting. One of you is going to be taken. The other one's going to lose the guy who's glassing for him. Two of you are going to be at work. One of you is going to be taken. One's not. He said, what, what, what is Thessalonians trying to tell us? He said, listen, this is coming. The question, are you making yourself ready? He's going to use another parable later on. Where he's going to talk about all these women who are sitting around with oil lamps, right, waiting for the coming of the groom. And the point of that parable, though some people make too much of it, really what they're try- he's trying to say is, you better be ready. Fasting is not something that makes you look really cool as a Christian, okay? We should not be impressed. Fasting is something that you do to make your heart ready for God. Reading your Bible is not something so you can impress Greg or check the boxes at Apple's Community Church. We read our Bible so that we can make ourselves ready for the king. So that we can make good use of the time for the days are evil, as Ephesians 5 says. Because we're in the land in between and we need to be ready. Church, listen to me. We have to act like he is coming. And friends, like I said at the very beginning of this message, when, when the groom comes, it's going to be a time of feasting again. In Revelation 19, it says this. Revelation 19, 7 through 8. Let us rejoice and exult. And give him, Jesus, the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. You know, at the end of Revelation, there's people who are, who are there's two groups of people who are crying. There's those who are, who are crying that they've been accepted by God and the groom loves them and cares for them. And it says the groom wipes away every tear. Because he says, you're mine. And there's another group that cries out and Jesus says, depart from me, I do not know you. You never believed and trusted in me. You put me in a little bitty box. And you didn't realize I am God, you do not put me in a box. And you never respected me, you never honored me, you never loved me. I gave you chance after chance. I sent you your neighbor who invited you. I sent you a pastor who told you the gospel. I sent you your grandmother who prayed for you. I gave you all these things, and yet you still deny me, and you kept me in that little bitty box. You put your grandparents, you put your family, you put that pastor, you put the church, you put those Christians in a little bitty box, and I'm sorry to tell you, I don't know who you are. And weeping and gnashing of teeth is now your future. Guys, that's the story of the Bible. Do you believe it? So that's why we live and we discipline ourselves, Christians. That's why we encourage you every single day, man. Read your Bible. Connect with Jesus. Stop listening to so many sermons and start listening to God. Stop reading so much John Piper, Timothy Keller, uh, Todd Wagner, whatever. Read your Bible. Bible first, Bible most, all the time. Because God the groom wants to have a relationship with you, friend. Not just me. Do you know John 15, 5? Go to John 15, 5. I want to just tell you something I think is just, I, I, hopefully this makes you laugh and also just convicts your soul and then I'll shut up. Go to John 15, 5. I'll go with you. We'll go there together. <clears throat> this convicts me. John 15, 5. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John 13, 14, 15. Okay. Look what it says. Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. You. You means you. Are you reading it? Who's it talking to you? Who's it talking to you? Yeah, you. You are the branches. Listen to what he says. 
Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you believe that? Have you found that every time you try to run away from Jesus, your life just seems to fade like one of those branches on a tree that's not getting the water? That Listen, it, does it say in John 15, hey, look at it again. Does it say, I am the vine and Greg is the branch? Okay, if Greg abides in me and I in him, then the church will bear much fruit. Is your fruitfulness based on whether or not I'm abiding with Jesus? Are you sure? Hold on a second. Look, at the per- look around you. Are you related to somebody around you? Do you know anybody around you? Okay. Are, is your fruitfulness, uh, is it uh, dependent on their faithfulness? No. Their fruitfulness is dependent on their connection to Jesus, and your fruitfulness is dependent on your connection to Jesus. There is nobody to look at, to blame, or to accuse. Listen, I cannot blame any of you. Listen, all of us, guys, me too. We spend so much of our time looking out of windows at everybody else's problems when really we should spend more time looking in mirrors at our own. And I should spend more time looking in a mirror at my own life and going, man, am I giving my life to the, to the groom? Am I making myself ready? Am I preparing my heart? Because my faithfulness is not dictated by any of you guys. My faithfulness is dictated by my connection to Jesus. And so I'm so glad that you're here. And I hope that what I, we've done this morning has been a blessing to you. And I think that it should be. I, I, it's the worship, a blessing to me. Reading of scripture, a blessing to me. Being around all of you crazy sinners, a blessing to me. But nothing is quite a blessing as abiding with the groom personally. So my one takeaway for you is he's coming again. So make yourself ready. Listen to your Savior every day. Dedicate yourself to him. Discipline yourself. And if there's anything distracting you, just put the Bible there, put this and go, all right, do I want Jesus? Or do I want a great benchmark in my weightlifting? Do I want Jesus? Right? Or do I want to get that next business deal? Am I saying you need to leave your job? No. But you can't do anything without Jesus. Lord, thank you. You absolutely burst our wineskins. You blow our minds. Everyone in this room uh, who calls on you as Savior, you keep, God, you just keep showing up and you keep showing us that you're, you're bigger, you're more beautiful, more wonderful, and you deserve our worship and we are going to rightly worship you. But I pray for my friends and I pray for myself. That guilt and shame we feel because we just weren't that dedicated this past week. We weren't that focused. I pray your grace would heal us. I pray your mercy would heal us. It just remind us that you still love us. You're the groom who never leaves us, forsakes us. That you do sit with sinners just like us. It blows our mind, God, that you haven't have anything to do with us. I, I agree with David. When I look at the stars of the heavens, the moon that you put in place, what, what are we that you're mindful of us? Why do you care about us? I just say thank you, Lord. We all as a church just say thank you to you, Jesus. You are outside of our comprehension. Thank you for loving us. God, I just pray while we wait for you to return, I pray we'd be faithful. We would honor your great love for us. That we would listen to you, not just to pastors. God, I pray that we would take responsibility 
keep our oil lamps filled personally. It's time to fast. It's time to seek you. It's time to pray. God, I pray that we would, we just see that you're worthy of our dedication and devotion. And may we leave our tax booths behind so we can follow this God who blows our minds. I pray that in Jesus' name. Good morning, everybody. Glad you're here. It's good to be here. Uh, hey, so this weekend, our students were together for Summit. Anybody in here here for Summit? All right, a few of you. Are you exhausted? You tired? Man, listen, uh, I know there's a lot of you who do not want to volunteer to be middle school youth leaders, but you're missing out on all God wants to do in your life right now. It's wonderful. 